we're going to talk a little bit about like it was in the days of Noah. So we talked about Noah, and then we're going to talk about how it was in his days. And then we're going to talk a little bit about like what Robin talked to, touched on earlier. Thanks for setting me up, bro. It was, uh, it was as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be when he returns. So what does that mean? And then there's a lot that you can read into that. Okay? So we're going to talk about a few things. We're even going to touch a little bit on the, uh, the raven and the dove today. All right? So you ready to get into a few things? I got a lot of scripture here for you today, so I hope you're ready for it. Okay? You ready? You're like, click, you know, turn on the, sharpen your pencils. Does anybody use pencils anymore? I don't know. It's like everybody's like taking notes on their phone, you know, kind of. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's start with this. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 35 to 39. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When that day and hour will come, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, not the Son, only the Father. Verse 37 says what? For the Son of Man's coming will be just as it was in the days of Noah. Does that mean that, that Yeshua came in Noah's days? Okay, that's not what it's saying. It says when he returns, when he comes, it will be just like those days. And I think it would be safe to say that that means it was wicked. Okay, but I, I think there's a little more to it than that as well. Okay, because there's some other things that we see in there that we may not look at first glance. All right? Verse 38, so back then before the flood, people went on eating and drinking, taking wives and becoming wives, right up until the day Noah entered the ark. So is there anything wrong with having food? So, so is there anything wrong with marriage? So what's the point here? If he's saying just, as, just like it was back then, people were eating and drinking, they were marrying, and, but they were all wicked. See, so that means eating is wicked, that means marriage is wicked. No! No, no, no. What, what it's saying is, yes, everyone was wicked, but they were going about their daily lives, just doing what they wanted to do. Okay, it's not necessarily saying that, you know, that the eating and drinking was wicked and the marriage was wicked. It's saying that they were just doing their normal things. They were not looking for the, for the judgment to start. Okay? They, they, and even though Noah was here and Noah, I, I do believe that Noah was warning people. I do believe he was letting them know. I mean... Come on, you, you, you build a fire big enough, people are going to come watch it burn. Build a big boat out there and people are going to be like, what is that guy up to? You know? So there's, there's an action that's there, okay? So, and, and I do believe that Noah was a righteous man. If he was a righteous man, he would have said, guys, you got to get ready. You know? Because there's judgment that's coming. Repent, return, you know, turn from our ways and serve our Creator. I do believe he was a righteous man. And, and if he was a righteous man, then he would do righteousness. Right? Which, what do we talk about righteousness on, on Tuesday? To do righteousness means we are walking with the Father. That we are walking in His Word. Amen. Okay? Well, His Word wasn't written back then. Aha! Okay, but Noah spoke with the Father. Amen. And it says he walked with Him. Okay, so whatever the father was telling him, he listened and he did, All right? So here's a few things to look at. Genesis 6, 11. So the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So does it just say that man was corrupt? Now we, we get that, man was corrupt, okay? But it says the earth was corrupt. 
Now, we also talked about that. I mean, in Vayikra, Leviticus, it also says that you can be in a place where your sin could literally bring defilement on the land itself. That your sin can defile the land. And so God was saying, when you go into the land that I am giving you, do not do the things that they are doing there because these abominations and these sins is why they're being kicked out because the land is kicking them out. So what we have here is a responsibility to not profane the land. So our actions do have an effect on the earth. Okay? So the earth was also corrupt. The word there is shachat, which can mean slowly infect or corrupt. If, something, if there's a slow infection that's, that's, that's working in something, is it like all of a sudden one day something's dead or is it just a matter of a process of decay? It's a process of decay. If something is infected but it's slowly, it's going to work slowly, 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 slowly until ultimately it's destroyed. Okay? So what we need is some good antibiotics. What does that mean? Guys, God says he's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. All right? That's what we need. Okay? But I do believe... Uh, like in the beginning, it was the word that created, and, and we're supposed to be repeating the word. I do believe if we are professing the word of God, then we are speaking life everywhere. Yes. And part of the reason why the earth is corrupt and decaying and man is corrupt and decaying is because we don't have people who are, who are speaking the word of God, speaking life, speaking truth. And further, those who are speaking it don't have anybody listening. Because like was said earlier, it's not just a matter of the word being said. You have to have people to adhere to it, to receive it in faith, right? Okay, Genesis 6.12 says, God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. What we said, the land was corrupt, the earth was corrupt because all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. So the earth was corrupt because man's way was corrupt. The word for way is derek, which means his way path, just uh, how he does life, his, his daily ins and outs, just their course of life, okay? So if in our course of life we do not acknowledge the Father, we don't acknowledge his word, we don't acknowledge his ways, we're not walking righteously, we are in effect propagating unrighteousness, which means we're contributing to the decay around us, okay? So to get out of that, we repent and we start to get life. We start to speak life. And, we, and, and our life affects those around us. Do you ever start to see you can get someone around you and it, can, and it can have an impact on you just by somebody else being around you? You get someone around you who's, who's just a big smile on their face and always in a great mood and after you've had your coffee, you like them. One of my favorite Proverbs is still, to him who blesses his brother loudly in the morning, it could be considered a curse to him. <laughs> if you don't get that, just you'll get it later. <laughs> I'll call you about 4 a.m. <laughs> you'll get it. <laughs> okay? The point is that we do have an action in playing a role of the world around us. Okay? Second Chronicles 7.14 says what? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's the big one at first. Right? It's not us that, that does anything. We are contributors to what the Father is doing. Okay? So if we humble ourselves and pray and seek my face, it's about relationship, guys. Okay? Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and what? 
Heal the land. It's not just a matter of and heal them, which, you know, we're in need of healing, right? I mean, we all got something in our life where we need some kind of healing or restoration, right? You know why? Because this body is decaying. <laughs> Someday we'll have one that doesn't, right? That should make you a little more excited. <laughs> but, but here we are. We need to understand we do have a role to play in this because God says if we will seek him with all our heart, with all our soul, all our might, if we humble ourselves, if we pray, if we seek his face and just have that relationship back with him, he will bring restoration to the land itself. And we need that, right? So back to Matthew 24, verse 39. And they didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them away and it will be just like that when the Son of Man comes. So does this mean so... No one's going to know anything, and all of a sudden, God's going to flood the earth again, just like it was back then? No, because God promised he wouldn't do that. What he's saying is the way that came will be just like it is when the Son of Man comes. People heard there was a flood coming. People heard there was this great event about to happen. People heard this was judgment. People didn't care. See, we can hear the word, we can hear the warnings, we can hear all these things, but unless we truly seek to hear and listen to the voice of the Father, it's really not going to mean anything to us. Okay? And further, Noah didn't have a date for it either. Okay, Noah, so when is this flood going to happen? Guys, I don't know, I just know it's going to happen. This guy's nuts. I'm telling you. The flood is going to happen. Your kid, Dad, what's Noah talking about? Son, he's been saying that for years. Don't worry about him. Right? But it's coming. There is a day it is coming. There is a reckoning for judgment. Okay? So it is on the way. Right? So judgment came and removed who? the unrighteous from the earth. This is the interesting point that I want to make. So, we have a theology. I'm not naming names. There is a theology that states that the earth will become so bad that all the righteous will be taken away and God will judge the wicked. That's in a nutshell. Oversimplified, right? But yet, what are we to do with things like, just like it was in the days of Noah, when the righteous remained in the earth and the wicked were removed? What do we do when we look at things in the scripture and it, it seems to challenge the status quo? So I'm going to show you a few things on this, along these lines, okay? The flood was, it was judgment, no, no doubt. Obviously, the flood was judgment. But consider this. To Noah and his family, the flood was also deliverance. Because you're telling me in the midst of this unrighteous generation and this wickedness all the time that Noah, who was called a righteous man, wasn't vexed in his soul? That he's looking around and saying, God, how much longer do I have to be, be in this place? Right? So instead of God removing Noah, it was, it was so bad in all the earth that judgment came across the whole earth. Think for, uh, just to consider something like Saddam. 
When Yahweh went and he met with Avram and he says, I'm, I'm going to go down to, to Sodom, Morah, and I'm going to see what's going on there because what well, we read, Peter says, righteous Lot cried out. We, we give Lot a hard time, but we don't really take a look at what the scripture has to say about him. He's just made some bad choices. Okay. So here, he, he says, I'm going to go down there. And then Avram starts like pawn shopping with God. <laughs> you know, God, what if there's, you know, 50 righteous people there? Would you destroy the whole city because there's still some righteous there? You know, and he works them all the way down to 10. Now consider this. What if Noah did something like this with the father and it's, it's like there, there aren't even 10 righteous? I mean, consider Noah and his family. And even in that, that's, there, there's a sense of Midrash and debate there because God says, okay, he saved eight people. Eight, not even 10, right? Eight people, but yet when God spoke about Noah, he says Noah is righteous in all his generations. He didn't say anything about his wife or his kids. And I'm not saying that they weren't, okay? I'm just saying we're not told that. We're just told specifically Noah was. And because he was, his whole household was delivered, okay? So, again, it can be taken either way, but it's just more food for thought, okay? So, like this, when they came out of Egypt, well, they went through the water, and when they first approached the water, they were like, this is it, we're going to die here. But God said, do you trust me? Yeah, I trust you. Get in the water. What? So they get in the water. The water's part. The Egyptians try it. Didn't work. And so, that, so the water was a deliverance for the people of Israel, but for the Egyptians that were following him, Pharaoh and his men, it was a judgment. So there was a judgment in both cases, but just because something was judgment doesn't mean that it was wrong or that it was bad or that it was hurtful. No, judgment was delivered the righteous. And judgment did not deliver the unrighteous. Okay? So it's like, ultimately, we want judgment. We just want to make sure we're on the right side of it. And that's why we're so scared. Right? All right. So the righteous were delivered, and who was removed? The unrighteous were removed from the face of the earth. Look at Genesis 7.1. So Adonai says to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you alone in this generation are righteous before me. It's what I was just saying, right? So this is what we're looking at. Come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen you alone are righteous. Now this could mean you, you and your household alone, or it could mean him alone. Either way, God is delivering those who are righteous and he's extending his grace and his mercy to his people. It's just a shame that there was only eight. Look at, th look at this, Matthew 5.5. 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 25.13 says what? His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 9 through 11. Evildoers shall be what? Cut off. And those who wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. So yet for a little while in the wicked shall not be. Yet you shall diligently consider his place and it shall not be. But the meek shall 
inherit the earth, and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Just like these scriptures right here, you know, just to let you know, I'm, just, I'm not pulling stuff out of context, guys. I mean, th- these are things that are said here. So if all the wicked or if all the righteous are removed from the face of the earth, what does that mean? Even if for a little while the wicked have inherited the earth. Even if for a moment the wicked have inherited the earth if all the righteous are gone. Right? Psalm 37, 22. For such as blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. Proverbs 10, 29. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. Look at verse 30. The righteous shall never be removed. The righteous shall what? Never be removed. But the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. Hmm. Matthew 24, 40. Okay, when, you, when you're approaching Scripture like this, then you always get this as, as, a, as a rebuttal. Well, what about this? Right? Matthew 24, 40. So then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know in the day that your Lord is coming. So what are we supposed to do with scriptures like that? I want to point out one very obvious thing. You're not told who was taken and you're not told who was left. To consider, you know, right? Verse 43, But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Hmm. So he is coming. But here's the thing. We're told to occupy till he comes. That means we have to live life until he comes. That means we have to work in his kingdom until he comes. We need to, to be people working his righteousness and, and doing like it was with the testimony of men like Noah, Abraham, David, you know? Psalm 119, 155. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. It says that salvation is far from the wicked because they don't seek your statutes. It doesn't say salvation is far from the wicked because they don't love you. Okay, well, here's the thing, guys. If we are the people of Yah, we will desire to hear his voice. His voice was written down for us. Isn't that what was said at the mountain? Moses, you go find out what God says so that we can do it. We cannot bear to hear the voice of God. Like we and ourselves, we can't stand to hear the voice of God. If we hear the voice of God, we're going to die. And my thinking is that's kind of the point. Like, like, like Rav Shaul, I die daily, right? If we hear the voice of God, we're going to die. Yes, you will. That's why we listen. Because when we seek Him, when we hear His voice, we realize there are things in our life that need to change. Because He is a holy God. And we do, we do receive of His grace and His mercy, guys, more than we could ever imagine. But that doesn't mean we don't walk in righteousness. It doesn't mean we don't listen to Him. We can't say, hey God, I want your grace and then go running off doing our own thing, and I'll check in with you this time next year. (laughs) Okay? So, salvation is far from the wicked because they do not seek your statutes, but the righteous will seek his word to walk in it. Proverbs 28.9 says, If a person will not listen to the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. 
just for the sake of argument, that translation of that word for Torah right there, if you break it down in the Hebrew, it means Torah. <laughs> Literally. That's the word that's there, Torah. So if a person will not listen to the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. If we are not willing to hear what the Torah says about, his, about the way we are to conduct our lives, then even what we can offer the Father as a prayer is, is abominable because it's full of selfishness. It's full of pride. It's full of rebellion. How can we say, God, I don't care what you've got to say to me, but buddy, I've got some stuff to tell you. And you're going to do this for me. I don't think you would approach an earthly king like that. Far be it, a heavenly king. The one who's created everything. Okay? So Matthew 13, 24. So he put forth another parable saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And we've talked about this, the sower sowing the seed. What is the seed? The seed is the word. Right? And the field, if, if it's sowed in right ground, good ground that receives it, it produces a good crop, right? So not going there, that's Mark chapter 4, but not going there, just kind of inserting in. So the seed is the word. You're sowing good seed into his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So that's the wheat and the tares. Now the thing is, I don't know much about horticulture, but I know this. If you get wheat and tares growing up together next to each other, they're really hard to distinguish which is which until they reach to a certain point of maturity. The wheat, the fruit on the top gets heavy and it, it starts to bend. The tares will remain upright. So what does that seek to tell us? That the wheat is humble. Represents to be humble, to bow down before our king, right? To submit ourselves to him, to, to be good for use, Right? The tares will continue to stand in their pride. Okay? And plus two, for the wheat to be used, it must be broken. Just saying. All right? So, verse 26. So when the plants came up and they bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. That's why it says. So when they came up and the grain appeared, then it was, to, it was distinguished which were which. And the servants of the master of house came, came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? And why are there weeds? If you sow good seed, why are there tares? Well, because you have an adversary who wants to come in and defile the field. And if the field is overrun with tares, the wheat's not going to produce like it's supposed to. Okay? You may get a little bit of them, you may get some of a harvest, but ultimately the tares can, can choke out the wheat and you'll have less wheat, more tares. So it's not going to be the kind of crop that's desired as well, right? So verse 28, so he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, so do you want us to go up and gather them? We, we look, we're seeing the distinguishing between the wheat and the tares. We're looking and so if, if we don't want the tares in there, should we go over there and just pull them all out now? Well, here's the part of the problem. If you get a whole bunch of plants growing near each other, what happens to the root system? It gets all tangled up and get in there. And so in, in the process of trying to up, uproot the tares, you can damage... The wheat. Hmm. So he says, no, but lest in gathering the weeds, you go root up the wheat along with them. Verse 30. So let both grow together until the harvest and when? At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat into my barn. Who? 
Okay, check this out. If you go on and you read, you'll find out he explains, he explains this, but let's, let's touch on that. So when is the harvest? The harvest is the end of the age. Who are the reapers? Reapers are the angels. The weeds, the unrighteous. The wheat, the righteous. So which ones are gathered first? The weeds, the tares. The tares are gathered first and thrown to the fire. Then the wheat is brought into the barn. What's another word used for a barn or a temporary dwelling where you might put something? Storehouse or what did we just go through? Sukkah. <laughs> so the whole idea of, of Sukkot is to come in and spend the time with the new season with our king. It's called the Feast of Ingathering. And so that's the, that's the thing. So once all the, all the fruit is gathered in, then we are to spend that time with him entering into eternity. Okay? Again, this is just a picture of something like that. Now, as another side note, does judgment come before or after Sukkot? Before. Because we have Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah is, is the time to sound the shofar, sound the trumpets, prepare, the, prepare yourself, get ready, the king is coming. Ten days later. See, that's the call for repentance. That's the call to cry out. Ten days later, we have Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Atonement. That is a day when, when there's a separation and judgment will go forth. And the question is, has atonement been provided for you or not? So prepare the way. The king is coming. When he comes, he's going to judge. And then after judgment, the feast of ingathering, where we're gathered in to spend the time with him. See how that is? All right. So how do they sort the wheat and the tares? How do they sort it? Well, they gather in, they go to the threshing floor, Right? And how do they sort? They have the, the, the winnowing fork and they throw, they, they throw it up in there, right? And it's not just like it falls down to the floor. What happens when they, they go there, they have the, 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 the fruit on the ground, the stalks on the ground, they throw it up, and then what happens? The wind comes and blows away what? The chaff, the tares, the weeds. The wind comes and blows away that which is not good for, for use, and that which is good for use remains. And what's the word for wind? Ruach. So, so in the threshing floor, we have the ruach blowing through the earth to separate that which is good for use and that which is not good for use. And that which is not good for use will be removed and taken away. But that which is good for use will remain there to be fulfilling its purpose. Psalm 92.7 That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. So it says that, that, that the wicked sprout up like grass. Why do you think Yeshua would, would give us a parable like the wheat and the tares? Because we do have things like this. That the wicked will sprout up like grass among wheat. Right? Psalm 1. We read Psalm 1 every Shabbat, blessing over the men of the house, Right? Well, the first part, the first three verses, talks about a righteous man. talks about being planted by, by rivers of water. talks about delighting yourself in the Lord and His Word, right? We go to verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Hmm. Isaiah 5.24 So therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in flame, again, stubble, grass being burned up, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. Literally, it says they have rejected et Torah, the Aleph Tav Torah of Yahweh Tzavaot. So they have rejected et Torah Yahweh Tzavaot. So we have here, what does it mean? If we reject the Torah of Yahweh, we're, 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 we're put in. If we reject his word, guys, it says that we have despised the, the, the word of the Holy One of Israel. So how can we say we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel? How can we say we serve the God of Israel, but we despise his word? You can't really do it both ways. If you love him, you'll love his word. Right? Nehemiah 13.3 So now it came to pass when they heard the law, remember, Nehemiah goes, he, he, he rebuilds, Right? And they gather the people together. They bring people back in to inhabit and to do these things. Well, this is, this is pretty cool. So they go in, they bring people back, and they read the Torah. They read the law, and then they separated from Israel all who? The mixed multitude. You know, when they came out of Egypt, Scripture says a mixed multitude came up with them. So here in, in Nehemiah, so when they came in, they, they, it says that they separated Kol Erev. All Erev. It's the mixed multitude. There is translated one word, Erev. Erev. Now, you may be familiar with this word. Erev is uh, the, the Hebrew word for evening. Evening. Because the idea is it's a mixture. We have light, and the darkness is coming, and it is mixing with the, with the, with the light. See, Erev is not night, it's evening. Okay? Night is Lila. Right? So Erev. Erev is the point where darkness and light are mixing, so it's a mixture. So what's the, what's the, what's the, uh, uh, the mixed multitude? The Kol Erev. It is a mixture, of, of, so to speak. Okay? Light being over, starting to being overtaken by darkness. All right? Matthew 13, 49. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. So what we see, what, what the people were doing here with Nehemiah, Yah will do at a larger scale. <laughs> right? 1 Peter 3, 20. So sometime we're disobedient, which such long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, eight souls were saved by water. So the people were disobedient, but yet... Eight souls were saved by water. That's interesting. They didn't just say eight souls were saved because of their obedience, although that is what is implied. If Noah would have said, well, God, I think the ark is a metaphor. <laughs> and do, do you really mean, I mean, that sounds kind of legalistic. Do I really have to build an ark? Yeah, I think in Noah's case, obedience was required. Okay? It wasn't build an ark and say, okay, I need to pray about what an ark is, what it looks like, how to... No, get up, do it. Right? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we need that, don't we? 
So see, we, we will stand around and we will make questions and question and question and question and question out of obedience. We'll work our way out of obedience every time. But if we just do what God said, there's a blessing there. Okay? Further, if God is asking us to do something now, keep in mind that it equips you for what he's asking of you later. True? Build an ark, Noah. Okay, it's long, it's a drawn-out task, it's taking forever, right? But, but when the flood comes, I bet he's thankful he listened. What if it started to rain and Noah's like, yeah, I was supposed to get on that. <laughs> See, sometimes procrastinating what God is telling us to do, oh, that's not good, is it? I shouldn't finish that, should I? Yeah, because we love to put off what, 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 what God's asked us to do. Sometimes we need to just do what he said. When they came out of Egypt, and here they are, they're, they're, they're in the wilderness, they're at the mountain, God is telling them, I have these plans for you, I want you to build me a place, a sanctuary that I can come and dwell with you, that I can meet with you, a place where we can do this, and the people would have said, uh, okay, where are we supposed to get all the stuff? I mean, that's a lot of stuff. The wood, the silver, the gold, the, the, the gemstones, and, and man, that's a lot of stuff. God, where are we supposed to get all this? Well, you mean back when you were in Egypt and I said, go ask your neighbor if you can have some of this stuff? You didn't do it? Uh, you meant that? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I don't have the stuff. In my mind, I just keep picturing, <laughs> well, go get it. <laughs> <laughs> It, but it, it makes the point well. What God is asking us to do now will equip us for what he wants us to do later. Not saying that we can't do later what he's asking us to do, but man, how much easier would it be if we just listened to him now? Okay, Because ultimately, guys, there will come a time when it will be too late. Okay, When Amalek came and attacked the people, who did he attack? The ones who were straggling behind. The translation could be read those who were procrastinating and double-minded. Hmm. Ouch. <laughs> Glad I wore still toe boots today. <laughs> I didn't. That's the part. <laughs> All right. I'm stuck, Josh. So we go in, eight souls were saved by water. All right? Now, let's take a look at what we got next while Josh was finding me on that. I can cheeks. I got my notes. So in the scripture, crossing over water meant there's a change of life. There's a blessing that's involved there. Okay? And it's a symbol of being, being new and starting over. We have some examples of this like Noah. In the flood. For Noah and his family, this was a starting over, wasn't it? For all creation, it was a starting over. What about Avram? Avram, in Joshua 24.3, it says, I took your ancestor Avram from beyond the river, led him through all the land of Canaan, and, and increased his descendants and gave him Yitzhak. Again, talking of Avram, he brought him across the water. Moshe and Israel bringing them across the water. Their deliverance involved being crossing the water. Water is used 
in a matter of, of warding off judgment. Think about this. You are redeemed and you are baptized. In the scripture, that's called a mikvah. A mikvah is an immersion in a body of water. Guys, we see that principle all through the Torah. Okay? Yehoshua and Israel. When Israel came out of Egypt, they crossed the Sea of Reeds. When Joshua went into Eretz Israel, they had to cross the Jordan. There's a crossing of water. I don't want to say with, connected with every promise God is giving His people, but I'm saying there's a crossing of water in a new life, in a new beginning, in a being refreshed. I mean, think about this. You spend, you spend time, even if it's just speaking spiritually, you spend a time in a dry place and it's getting rough and you need that. And then what do you need for refreshing? Water. Yeshua says, I am the living water, water of life. So we need that water that comes to bring that refreshing there. Okay? So we, let's talk for a second about the dove and the raven. And I do believe we see similarities in the things that we've been talking about as well and what we've already said and what we're going to have here between the dove and the raven. All right? Genesis 8, 6 through 12. So at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Guys, they were in the ark for a year and 10 days. Okay? A year and 10 days. Here it says, so after the 40 days, Noah opened the window for the ark, and he sent forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. That's a long time to be flying. My thinking is this. Why didn't it return to the ark? Why didn't it just come back? Let's see, I don't see anything. Just better go back. So then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she, what? Returned to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, took her, and he brought her into the ark with him. Verse 10. So he waited another seven days, and again he sent forth a dove out of the ark. Seven days, another cycle, a completion of something, right? Seven days. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided the earth. And then he waited another seven days and set forth a dove, and she didn't return. That's what this is saying. Okay, so, so when this one went off, it found a place to rest, found a place to, to continue in, in life. All right, now let's look at this. Raven is the word orev. Orev. Which is spelled the same way as we sound, sound erev earlier. What did Erev mean? A mixture. A mixture. Darkness mixing in with light. Okay? So, Erev. Now, dove? What does a dove mean? Dove is Yonah. Like Jonah? A dove is Yonah. So, it makes us think of a few different things. One, the Erev is unclean wandering to and fro, refusing to go back to the safety of covenant. But the dove sought out the olive branch and brought it back to that place of covenant to be joined with it. 
then at its right time went on to continue continue life. Hmm. So the raven is unclean. And it goes, it flies back and forth, and it's wandering over and over, and it wouldn't return to the safety and protection of the ark. It makes me think of things like this. Amos 8, 11, and 12. See, flood and famine are related. How are they related? Because they're both extreme opposites. Right? By the way, uh, we also see ravens used in famine. Because Elijah, there was a famine in the land, and the ravens brought him food. So, here we have this. Amos 8, 11, and 12. So, behold, the day has come, says Yahweh, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of Yahweh, and they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of Yahweh and not find it. It's interesting how this reads, because it says there's a famine that's coming, and the famine will be of what? Hearing the words of the Lord. It does not say that the famine is people declaring the words of the Lord. It does not say that the famine will be nobody speaking it. It says the famine is nobody's listening to it. The word there is Shema. Okay? So no one is putting themselves in a place to Shema the word of Yahweh. So think about this for a second. So how would the next verse read? I am, I, there's a famine that's coming. And people are not going to Shema. And they're going, wandering all over the place to try to hear the voice of God, but they can't hear it. Why can't they hear it? Because they're listening for the wrong things. They're not discerning His voice. They're trying to seek out things that they want to hear. This is why it's dangerous, guys. You, you get someone who's always trying to seek out the next word from God, but refuse to open their Bible. And I'm not saying God can't speak to His people. I do believe He speaks to His people. All right? 100%. I, I do believe it. The problem is we have so many people that are trying to declare the word, but they never crack open the book. And so they're not discerning the word that's there and that they're trying to proclaim the word. Not going there tonight. That's a whole other teaching. Okay? But God is saying that, that the famine that's coming is going to be just like that. People are going to seek out what delights them. They're going to seek out what they want to hear. They're not going to want to seek out the words that challenge them to change. The words of life that show us we have a holy God that, that desires relationship with us. Because if we say there is a holy God that desires a life with you, but there's these sins in your life that need to change, we need to get rid of these things, there has to be repentance. Go forward. Today it's like, how dare you say I have to repent? You hurt my feelings. Get your feelings hurt, guys. If it brings you to a place of conviction, and that's conviction is what, is what happens. We, have, we live in a society that calls conviction condemnation. There's a difference. Conviction will bring you to a place of seeing, I need him. Condemnation says there's no hope. We're not condemning people when we say the world is wicked. Because anyone has a place to repent. Okay? But, just as we see Amos, that's what he declares. Proverbs 17, 24. The discerning person focuses on wisdom before him, but a fool's eyes wander the ends of the earth. Hmm. 
The discerning person focuses on the wisdom before him. Book, book, Bible, read. But the fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Oh, that looks good over there. That looks good over there. Hey, what's that over there? <laughs> yep, squirrel. Right? Jeremiah 14.10. Here's what Adonai says to this people. They so love to wander, they don't restrain their feet. Well, there's an interesting thing over there. Let's go find out what it is. But yet, we're not taking the time to study the wisdom that's right in front of us. They so love to wander, they don't restrain their feet, so Adonai doesn't want them. Now, he will remember their crimes and he will punish their sins. If we're not in his word, seeking his word, why do we think we're going to go wander all over the place and wander around to find his wisdom all over the place? We've got to be willing to look at what's right in front of us. Ezekiel 33.30 So now you, human being, your people are gathering and they're talking about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses. They're saying to each other, each one telling his brother, come, let's go and hear the latest word coming from Adonai. Guys, if you can't read this, this is pretty sarcastic. They're using the word of God as entertainment. Hmm. So then they come to you as people do. They sit in front of you as my people. They hear your words, but they don't act on them. For with their mouths they flatter you, but their hearts are set on their own self-interest. It says they come and they hear, but it's, it's just entertainment. It goes on and, and continues to read. It just says the words that are said is just like someone who sings a song well, and they, they just, just want to hear what you got. But nothing to do with the words that are being spoken. Nothing to do about life and being changed. Right? Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? Guys, the, 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 the people who are working in ministry are not doing so because, well, they think they're better than me. It's not. We need to understand, we all have a place in the kingdom. Nobody is better than anybody else. Nobody's worse than anybody else. We're all people. The question is, are we a covenant people? Are we a people to work in His kingdom? Then we need to learn to work with each other to obtain the goals of the kingdom. Okay? And that's where... We have people who are in ministry to help you to do the work of the ministry. Does that make sense? Right? There are people there to, he to help you, to teach you how we're supposed to live outside of the four walls that we come and we gather. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Messiah, till we all come to what? Unity of the faith. Boy, we've got a long way to go for that. We'll fight about anything. And for the knowledge of the Son of God, and to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of the Messiah. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more what? Children. Good luck with that. All through Scripture, we're called the children of God. At what point do we become the adults of God? I submit to you after he returns. <laughs> Until then, we're children. Why? Because we still act like it sometimes. Right? What do you mean I can't have a Snicker bar? <laughs> right? <laughs> the only difference is we're older, we can yell louder. <laughs> so that we be no more children who are what? 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. What's the word for wind? Ruach. Tossed around by every spirit of doctrine. Because there's a lot of things out there that you can listen to. There's a lot of doctrine out there that you can hear, but guys, it's not going to profit you because the goal is confusion and the goal is to toss you back and forth and the goal is to distract you from what's important. Verse 15, but speaking the truth, how? In love. And that's part of the problem. What kind of fruit do these doctrines produce? Does it produce righteousness? Does it produce a love for one another? Or does it produce dividing from one another? Does it produce fighting and contention and arguments? Or does it produce working with each other, even if we may not agree perfectly on something, working with one another for his purposes and his goal and his plans? What kind of fruit do these doctrines produce? And that's what we need to look at. Okay? Speaking the truth in love. Do we speak the truth because we care, or do we speak the truth because, well, I'm right? Well, I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm saying they're wrong. <laughs> we need to learn to speak the truth in love. That means we speak the truth because we care, and we also care about how someone responds to that. Because what happens, we want to share the truth with someone, and we're excited about it, they don't believe the same way we do, and automatically now it becomes a fist fight. Where's the love in that? See, we're doing it the wrong way. Right? Proverbs 27, 8. People who won't settle down, wandering hither and yon, are like restless birds flitting to and fro. Makes me think of the raven. 2 Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having... This doesn't mean the teachers are going to be going like this all the time. <laughs> it doesn't mean the teachers are scratching their ears. What it means, you know, you know what it means. It means people are, are going to be seeking out people who tell me what I want to hear and don't ever tell me anything I don't want to hear. Right? And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and they will learn to seek fables. They will go after and pursue things that are not true. They will, they will pursue, listen to me carefully on this, they will pursue conspiracies and things that will distract. And you want to know my take on a lot of the conspiracies? I'll just give you this much of it. I don't believe they're all true. I don't believe that not all of them aren't. I'm not naive. But at what point are we going to say, let's focus on our walk with the Father instead of do we agree on the, on the latest conspiracy at hand? James 1, 5 through 8 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith. That means nothing wavering. Okay? For he that wavers is like the wave of the sea that is driven in the wind and... Toss. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all those ways. If we're double-minded, that means we're unstable. If we're unstable, that puts us back in the category of Israel when Amalek came. See, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know everything. But we need to be assured of who we are and who He's called us to be. Okay? So when he tells us, this is my heart, this is my desire for you, these are the things that we need to learn to walk in. 
not being tossed around by the next thing that just sounds really cool. The dove, the first time what happens? It found no place to rest its foot. Interesting terminology. So we have judgment coming, and the dove finds no, found no place to rest its foot. We have things like Deuteronomy 28, 64, and 65. The Lord will scatter you among all the people. When was Israel scattered into all the people? When the kingdom split. Right? So uh, go among all the people from the end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone that you uh, need, new, blah, 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 which neither you or your fathers have known. Verse 65. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be what? No resting place for the sole of your foot. This is, this is much like the first time the dove went out. The dove representing peace, representing the Ruach, but in my mind also representing uh, a call for Israel. So this, going out but not finding any place to, to settle the sole of her foot, so it returned to the ark. Here we find this where it says, there's no place to settle your foot, rest your foot, because we did not listen, so we was gone. But yet even in our going apart, there is a place of being called back to restoration, of being called back, because we see, but if they will repent, I will restore. And when God says, I will cast them into, into all the lands, he says he will gather them back. Right? So the next time the dove went out, we see this. Romans 11, 17, and 18, it brought back what? The olive branch. Romans says, so some of the tree's branches were pruned off and you wild olive shoots were grafted in. Yet, the fact that you are now fed by that rich and holy root gives you no cause to crow over the pruned branches. Remember, you aren't feeding the root. The root is feeding you. This translation I find interesting because it says it doesn't give, give you the right to crow. <laughs> also an unkosher bird. Hmm. Remember, you are part of that tree. That olive branch, you are part of that restoration. You're part of what the Father is desiring to do in the earth. We have to be willing, an olive branch extended is a symbol of peace, is it not? We have to be willing to not just receive that, but to extend that and to work in that. To bring peace not just to us, but to bring peace to those around us as well. What is the word for dove? Yonah. Jonah. Yonah. What was Yonah's message? It was really simple, wasn't it? We paraphrase it by saying repent. But it's not exactly what he said. I mean... Was Jonah happy about going to Nineveh? You guys read the story. Okay. We read it recently on Yom Kippur, right? So he wasn't happy about going there. And when he does go there, and let me look at how this reads. I, I find this crazy. Because so, and so Jonah, he began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried out and said, Hey, 40 days, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. <laughs> wow. That's it. That's what he says. But yet, what was the response of the people? The response of the people was they repented, sackcloth and ashes, they mourned, they fasted, and they said maybe, maybe God will hear our change, of, our change of heart and maybe He won't destroy us. They didn't even go and, and attack Jonah and said, what do, we have, what do we have to do to stop this? Yeah, they knew. 
So again, so the idea of Jonah or a dove being extended is, is, is a being a returning to the Lord your God. That's why one of the things the dove was a symbol for the Ruach. Genesis 11, 1 and 2. Just a couple more things and we'll, we'll be done. So what we find after the flood, man did good, turned, turned from their wicked ways and kept the heart of the father and... No. Just... <laughs> Nope, went back to our old ways. Yep. See, I, I, I think this kind of solves the, the nature versus nurture. Yep. <laughs> you know, because we read Genesis 11, we keep going. So the whole earth was filled with one language and of one speech. We th- well, man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? No language barrier. We were able to talk to everyone. The problem is, what is our intent when we get together? See, when we dwell together in unity, what's it for? See, we can dwell in unity for the wrong thing. That's why we need to make sure we're pursuing the heart of the Father. Right? So it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found the plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. I want to look at this phrase as they journeyed from the east. East is Mekedim. From the east. Kedim is the word there for east. Mekedim is, is from. So they journeyed from the east. Uh, but Kedim can also mean ancient or old. Okay? Psalm 55, 19, it says, God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abides of old. Huh. We, ha- we, we, we say he is the ancient of days. Right? Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me, he that is ruler in Israel, whose goings have been from of old, from everlasting. And the people journeyed away from Yahweh, and they went to find their own way. That's what we're looking at. It's not just, so they journeyed from the east. No, they journeyed away from he, from he who was the Ancient of Days. They journeyed away from his ways to build their own. Okay? So then, they say, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that has its top reaching to heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves. What's that called? It's pride. So we can make a name for ourselves. And let's not be scattered over the earth. What's that? Rebellion. Why? Because God told them to fill the earth. Hmm. So man went right back into it, right? So Adam and I said, look, the people are united. They have a single language and see what they're starting to do. At this rate, nothing they set out to accomplish will be impossible for them. Check it out. Anything they set out to do, eventually they can do. The problem comes into, is it for righteousness or not? Right? So how should we be united? John 17. John 17, 14. So I've given them your word and your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Look at that. What did Yeshua say about his disciples? I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Hmm, you know what we were just talking about earlier? but that you keep them from the evil one. So they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be... Oh, they may all be one. 
just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's saying, not just saying, I pray that they are one with you. He's saying, just as you are in me, and I tell you that we're all together. See, we are one with the Father, but we're guys, we're one with each other. Right? 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are. So that they may be one, not just as this guy may be one with you and that guy may be one with you and that guy. No, they are one. 23. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. How should we be one? Guys, if we are part of the kingdom, if we are united in our Messiah, we need to learn how to be united with each other. We need to learn how to work together. Yeah, but I don't agree, especially when we don't agree. Because that's a testimony of not just maturity, but of righteousness. 